0: All right, I wanna welcome everybody to marriage night here and at all of our campuses and uh, glad that you made it out with the bad weather and all that's going on. And again, if you're watching live stream, we're glad that you're doing that. And it's neat. We now have the technology to do this at every one of our campuses uh, live stream. And uh, it's 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 something that I think we can take advantage of and it helps us to get more people and invite people. So tonight we're excited. We want to talk a little bit about marriage mentoring and the ministry that we have available because uh, we believe in marriages. We do pre-marriage counseling. Uh, we have marriage mentoring. We have counseling that we offer. And uh, we have Kyle and Brianna up here. And uh, they went through our marriage mentoring. And then also Matt and Dana, they did the marriage mentoring. And uh, I just want to say to you guys, uh, I'm glad that you're up here being vulnerable and talking about this and helping others. And uh, let me kick it off with you. Uh, What was your life and your marriage like before marriage mentoring? Good question. So um, I would say overall was good. Uh, We were very new into our marriage. So um, we were just doing it together, learning together on our own, and we didn't have Matt and Dana or our marriage mentors to kind of guide us and show us what a godly marriage was like. And um, through their mentorship, it was, um, it was really helpful. So they helped us uncover and work through things that um, were little, things we didn't really know that we struggled with, to big things like communication. All right, so let's talk about that, Kyle. Uh, Some of the things they helped you to uncover and get better at, and uh, whose fault was it? (laughs) Just admit it. No, I'm just kidding.
1: (laughs) Oh, man. Um, Yeah, I guess uh, since marriage mentoring, um, one of the things that Matt and Dana really helped us with is they really provided us with a roadmap of what a godly marriage and a godly family should look like. Um, And as one thing Brianna said was, is we're doing it on our own. Um, You know, as a young married couple, we were learning on our own, which was good. Um, But I kind of equate it to, you know, um, you know, as Christians, we do life together. And and this was another thing that Brianna and I were like, you know, there's some things that we struggle with. Um, We could benefit off of doing, you know, doing marriage mentoring. Um, And so we did it. And it was it was a total blessing. You know, as a guy, I, I was kind of reluctant, like, you know, we don't really need to do that. Um, I can fix it myself. Yeah. yeah. It's not my fault anyways, but (laughs) (laughs) no, I'm I'm just kidding. Um, but as a guy, it was like, you know, that's one of the things I thought, like, we don't really need to do this. You know, we're fine. This is what young couples go through. Um, until, you know, we became vulnerable with Matt and Dana and they really gave us a toolbox of stuff to use, you know, when, um, when communication can, Concerns would come up. You know, we'd think back to our talks with Matt and Dana. You know, um, what did we get out of those? How can we apply it to now? And even, and even one thing that I personally feel um, came from this, outside of like the marriage aspect, was um, it really um, encouraged Brianna and I to be involved in church, Um, and that went from being involved in life groups. That went, you know, from being involved. Um, to leading life groups, um, and just, you know, doing little things at church on Sunday. So it really kind of encouraged That's us, um, you, know, to, um, you know, to better our Christian lives outside of marriage. That's so, so good.
0: Yeah, it was cool. Good stuff. Uh, Dana, uh, what do you guys enjoy about being mentors and doing this type of stuff and helping engaged and, and married couples? Um, I think our, one of our favorite things is just being able to come alongside other couples and being able to encourage them and really give them that hope that no matter where they're at, if they're newly married, if they're into the marriage, if we've worked and talked with people that have been married for 30 years, just being able to give them that hope and just no matter where they're at, that Jesus is capable to do so many amazing things in each and every marriage. So just being able to come alongside them and just let them know what Jesus is capable of doing for Excellent. them as a couple. Excellent, Matt, what have you learned um, for you guys? Do you get anything out of being marriage mentors? All the
2: time, all the time. And like Dana said, there's such a variety of couples you get to work with. And you know, whether it's Brianna and Kyle, or you know, it's a couple that's been married 15, or even like Dana said, 30 years. The, the things that you, you take away from it are, like Brianna said something really important, it's communication. And sometimes, you know, when you're married, you put it on autopilot and you forget that you have to work hard. You have to put forth a a lot of effort at communication in your marriage. And the curriculum is really, really simple. Like we were scared to death to be, you know, marriage mentors because we thought, what do we know? But then when you go through the curriculum and you trust it and you trust God to work through you, it really makes sense and it's so practical. So you, as a couple, you learn to not only communicate, you learn how to negotiate through your issues because I, I don't care what marriage you're in, you're going to have issues. So that's, that's what we get out of it. It's a constant reminder to communicate, to negotiate, and to not lose hope, like Dana said.
0: That's so good. And I think that you hit on something there. A lot of people think they have to be uh, professionals or perfect. You don't have to be professional or perfect to be a mentor. You need to have a healthy marriage, and then you need to be willing. And if you're healthy and willing, you could be a marriage mentor. If you need to be mentored, if you're like, hey, this would be good for us, um, on every other seat we have a a little card that you can do, and you can fill that out and say, hey, want to be part of this? Or you can go to uh, marriage at rivervalley.org, and you can sign up. It's for all of our campuses. Uh, We offer this, and we're looking for marriage mentors. We're looking for people that want help. And uh, we just wanted these guys to come up and just share a little bit about how it's gone. And uh, thank you guys for doing that. Glad that you're part of it. Let's give them a hand. <laughs> tools, tools, tools. We have tools, and uh, we, I love these marriage nights and the experts that we brought in. Uh, we brought in some major, major marriage people, uh, Doug Weiss, Dave Carter, uh, Dr. Harley, Tim Rudin, these people. And these are online. You can actually get these resources and uh, watch the other marriage nights. You can make it a date night if you miss one. And uh, we're gonna, I'm going to try to get those all on the marriage Page on the future website so that you can just go to one spot and get them. But right now you have to do a little fishing on there, and if you can't find it, you can just email Pastor Pam and she will uh, get you to the right spot. I want to give you some practical help. I just want to call this practical help from your pastor: change before you have to marriage edition. All right, and uh, just I'm looking at trying to give you help and saying uh, I hope you leave today that you'll say uh, we're pretty normal. That's what I hope you're going to see, that you're going to see that there's problems and issues in every marriage, and you're going to say, we're pretty normal. Um, I hope that you'll leave and you'll say, "Uh, we can get help, and uh, we can have hope, and uh, yes, we can make the change. We can do this. We can do whatever we need to do. Um, I I think the the worst thing to do in, in anything like this is when you have great speakers. They come in, they give us amazing content, and then we go, oh, that's pretty good. I'll take that under advisement, you know, and uh, this expert that travels the world is sharing things that will help your marriage, and then you leave, and you go, eh, well, you know, I don't know what that guy knows, and uh, I hope that you'll take what's being shared, and you'll apply it, you'll do it, and uh, you'll learn in marriage. Now, I want to start with before you get married, and uh, uh, I, just, I know we've said that this is open for people that are engaged or uh, people that are thinking about getting married. Really, it's a marriage night, and if you're engaged, I think it'd be appropriate to be at our marriage nights, but we try to do this so that we can talk about stuff uh, that maybe we wouldn't talk about on Sunday morning in church or Saturday night, and, uh, but I just want to give you a couple of things. I've asked all the time as pastor, what should I look for in, in somebody I'm going to marry? What should I look for? And um, I usually, without fail, the first thing that comes out of my mouth is somebody that's sold out in their faith to Jesus, number one, and they're like, okay, what else? Uh, Someone with similar interests, what's another one? Somebody who's sold out in their faith to Jesus, and they're like, all right, what's another thing? Uh, You like them and love them, there's a difference, you know. and uh, then they're like, all right, what else? They're sold out in their faith to Jesus, because here's what I've learned. If somebody will listen to the Holy Spirit If somebody will listen to the Holy Spirit, there's hope for any marriage. Because I think what we have to do is we have to stiff-arm the Holy Spirit in order to keep fighting. I think we have to stiff-arm the Holy Spirit to not work on our our marriage. I think we have to stiff-arm and we quench the Holy Spirit, if you will, because he's whispering all the time, leading us into truth, convicting us of our sins, causing us to want to reconcile, and we have to stiff-arm. And so I'm saying, if you are looking for somebody to marry, uh, find somebody that doesn't stiff-arm the Holy Spirit but listens to the Holy Spirit and is in love with Jesus. And I believe if you have somebody like that, there's always hope. Um, I'll tell you this, if you're raising uh, children right now, I couldn't tell you strong enough to tell them uh, to marry someone with the same faith. Marry someone with the same faith, that that's something that is a non-negotiable. I can let you know this is how my parents were. This is how they raised us. And by the way, some of these stories will sound familiar, and I won't keep saying you probably heard this one before. Uh, Some of you have been my friends for a long time or in the church a long time. You've heard some of these things. But my mom and dad raised us, and they'd say over and over again, marry a Christian. Marry a Christian. That's the one thing we ask. Marry a Christian. If you don't marry a Christian, we will not show up to your wedding." I was like, serious? We are dead serious. And my dad was like, I'm pretty serious. My mom was like, we are dead serious. Yeah, you know my mom. So, but she was like (laughs) over and over again, marry a Christian or we're not showing up for the wedding. We'll talk to you at the reception, but we won't be at the, you know, I mean, I was like, they were just, it's that critical to them. They're like, it's that critical. Now, somebody might be here. They're like, well, there's where I blew it. I'm married to a non-Christian and uh, boy, I better look for the escape hatch. No, I love a simple statement that somebody said, uh, they said it, It might not have been God's will then, but once she made the vow, it's God's will now. So now that you're in it, you made a vow, you're in it, you're going to fix it, there's hope, and you listen to the Holy Spirit, and there's hope there. So um, another thing that people say, like, what would happen if somebody backs out? Uh, we do great premarriage counseling, and uh, I don't know what the percentage is, but lots of people back out of getting married when they go through our pre-marriage counseling, and I think that's fine. I think that's okay. I think if a couple doesn't have the peace to proceed, they should stop. Uh, they are taking it serious. It's not just a gift exchange. It's not just a fun night. Um, It's actually entering into a vow and a covenant relationship. And that's what we teach at church. And so if they're going to wait, even at the wedding, uh, I train the pastors and I say, if somebody backs out at the wedding ceremony, like, I just can't do it, I can't do it, Go out and say the couple has made a wise decision. They don't have the peace to proceed, and uh, we are going to bless that and pray that they find the peace, and um, let's not waste a good meal. Let's go eat. All right, so <laughs> any, but, uh, pray for the couple and all those other things. All right, one spiritual thing that I want to give you, uh, we get asked a lot, Becca and I, and um, she thought she was going to be co-teaching with me the whole day. And she just had this huge stomach ache, and partway through the day I said, "Ah, you, I'll just do it by myself." She's like, "I'm healed," so just, <laughs> it just it lifted off of her. But anyways. Um. Becca and I uh, just want to let you know, we do separate devotions. We do our SOAP that we do at church, Scripture, Observation, Application, Prayer. We do it separately. We pray for each other. We have no problem asking for prayer. It's not uncommon for us to have an amazing time and then us pray together. It's not uncommon for her to share what's on her heart and me to pray for her, her to pray for me. It's not uncommon for us to ask for prayer. Um, I remember when I was in India and we were doing our festival, I was leading one of our global teams. I was uh, taking malaria pills, and my mind was going crazy. I, it, was not, it was giving me an adverse uh, effect. I was not doing well, and I called her, and I said, you need to pray for me right now. Um, uh, make it short. It's $2 a minute, but I need, you know, I need prayer. I got to have prayer right now because I, I can't gather my thoughts. I have no confidence, and I needed to call the person that believes in me the most and uh, I needed you, me, and God to pray right now. We got to come together and I got to get through this and lift it, and it lifted off. And it just, so that's our, our marriage. We tried to do the, um, reading together her parents do that they read their devotions every day together out loud to each other and then talk about it and we tried that and and it just didn't work and our schedules and things and next thing you know we're three days behind and we're supposed to be loving jesus and then we're fighting like we're three days behind and you know read them and then she's falling asleep and i'm like you can't fall asleep and she's like well you can't be gone all the time you know so it's like praise the lord okay so find what works for you find what works for you all right um couple of scriptures, and I, I won't go into the whole... I'm going to reference them for sake of time. But Ephesians 5 has a lot to talk about uh, prayer. And if there's one thing I've noticed about, or about marriage, uh, I've noticed this, is the Bible does give clear direction to the husband uh, to love his wife as Christ loves the church. And that's a huge huge responsibility it's a huge challenge and it's something that men we better man up and take uh, the responsibility to do that I also think that the Bible is uh, very clear uh, that it gives some clear direction about husbands loving their wives it talks about mutual submission and then the wife coming under the mission of the husband which you should be on mission when you get married you're saying we're going to do more together than we could apart I come under your mission and I'm with you on this and I want to do this Matter of fact, you may not know this, but in a marriage, when the bride is walking up the aisle in the middle aisle, it's actually known as the walk of death. Okay? She's dying to herself and saying, Your vision is now my vision. I come with your vision. And my challenge to the men is, Do you have a vision? And are you on mission? And, and then to the wife, is this someone you want to come under the mission and be with them? So it's very clear Ephesians 5 talks about that. That's something that all of us should be reading and applying. And then 1 Corinthians 7 talks about uh, sexual issues. And a lot of people will talk about this. We're going to talk about this tonight, um, which leads me um, to three things. That I've noticed over and over and over again. I used to do counseling in the church, and I rarely, rarely do counseling now. Um, we have other pastors on staff. I used to do all the premarriage counseling till one summer we had ten weddings, and I did six premarriage counseling sessions, the rehearsals and the weddings, and had no summer, and then I delegated it to the youth pastor. So um, I'm, you know, so we just pushed that. But I, I would do counseling with troubled marriages. And uh, I learned a couple things. First of all, when they came in and they were fighting, I was happy. Because when they had no energy and no emotion, that was a really bad sign. When they'd come in and they'd say, we want to work on our marriage. And the other person would be like, no, we don't. And I was like, another person was like, we really do. Nope. Got nothing. I was like, oh, now we're in trouble. I'd rather have them come in. Shut up. I hate you. And I was like, okay, there's hope. All right, good, good. We got hope because there's something there. They still irritate each other. All right. Um, But I think pastors could be a value uh, in our church for this uh, assessment with you. They're not professional counselors, but they know the Bible, and they know how to assess what's normal and what's not normal. And I think the best value, if you're like, well, I'm going to go talk to the pastor and get help I think what we really do at our church, if you meet with a pastor, all they're going to do is tell you like, yep, that's normal, Here, get a marriage mentor, or no, nope, that's not normal, here's a professional counselor. Or, yeah. So they're just going to help you to get to the appropriate spot, and, um, but most of our pastors don't do the marriage counseling. But three things that came up over and over and over again, communication, sex, and money. I could be a prophet when it came to a couple that would walk in. They're like, we're here for marriage counseling. And I just had it down. I just go, let me guess. You are not communicating very well. Yes. And your sex life is not that good. Correct. And you're having troubles with finances. You are prophetic, and I was like, No, everybody—they're all same thing. They come in; it's over and over and over again. So I want to talk about those three biggies. And uh, here's something that I want you to do, in case you haven't done this today. And if you were not with us when Doctor uh, Doug Weiss was with us, he had us turning and doing all these exercises. Turn to your spouse and tell them everything you want to do on Valentine's. And you know, we had dating couples, and I was like, Yeah, don't do that. Um, uh, and then we had people that were without a spouse that night. It was a little awkward. Anyways. Uh, we won't do that. Some of you are like, where's that video online? All right. Anyways, um, I want you to turn to your spouse. Stand up. I want you to stand up all across here and at all of our campuses. You're not going to say anything like Valentine's, rock your world, nothing like that. All right. We're not going to get there. All right. All I want you to do is do this. I want you to hug your spouse for about 10 to 20 seconds. Becca, come on over here. I want you to hug. I want some physical contact. Hug your spouse for about 10 to 20 seconds and it'll do you some good. It's good. <laughs> Becca's actually counting. She's squeezing me, and I'm being pinched. That defeats the purpose, babe. <laughs> All right, now tell them you love them. Becca, I love you. Tell your spouse you love them, and then you can be seated. There's a couple things. There's, there's two things that you can do uh, in communication that are nonverbal. Two things that you can do in communication that are nonverbal: Hugs are actually energizing. When you hug your spouse, you energize them, they energize you. It just happens. there's something going on. You are made for contact. Uh, my mother, who is a widow, uh, will say, I, "I miss my hugs." and she has her hug club. You may see her. She hugs all the teenagers and she has all these people. She's like, "Give me a hug. I need hugs." And there's something going on that is energizing you that energizes your mate. There's another thing you can do later when you can just look into your spouse's eyes for 30 seconds. And some of you're like, "That is un- that's a long time." But if you can do that <laughs> 30 seconds, okay? I'm telling you, there's something going on. There are thoughts going on. And I believe what happens is the Holy Spirit is giving those, there's all sorts of things that he can be doing while he's like, he can remind you, like, remember, it's your anniversary. He can help you even that way. He can say, you know, just remember why you married this person. There's so many things that he can do just by making that eye contact. So hugs and eye contact. And then just another simple thing that Beck and I joke about, I read this in a, a magazine once. It said, guys that kiss their wife Goodbye in the morning. Make more money than guys that don't kiss their wife goodbye. And so for the longest time, I would just kiss her goodbye in the morning. I said, "I'm going to go make some more money," and I give her a kiss. And and she's like, "Make more money." Here's another kiss. All right, yeah. So it just it was in a book, so it had to be true. But anyways, when it comes to communicating and uh, fighting, that's one thing I just want to talk to you guys about. This is going to be a little bit like the Book of James. It's going to go all over the place, by the way. Um, so. I I want you to learn how to fight fair. I want you to learn how to fight fair. Every marriage is going to fight. It's going to. Becca and I fight uh, the other day. Usually it's about... Driving in the car and maps and GPS. We were trying to get to 20 plus on Monday night and we were like, the, it's wrong. And she's like, I can't. I'm like, you've got an iPhone with an app. And she's like, take the phone. I'm like, take the wheel. And, and, and then I went in there, yes, Lord, we're so good. And we're glad, 20 plus. Yeah. And then I told everybody we are fighting and then we fought some more. Okay, so. It's good. This is why I, I help you guys. All right, all right couple things, you're gonna fight, it's just part of marriage, everybody's normal, you're gonna fight, you're two human beings. Uh, Charles Spurgeon said, the best of men are still at best men. That we're just people, we're just people and we're gonna uh, irritate each other. And uh, I'll give you a couple things that I think about fighting fair, first of all, in private. I don't think you should fight in front of other people. Um, If you disagree with your spouse uh, and it's going on, get private, step away. I would rather somebody say, excuse us for a moment, and then them step away than them fight in front of us. Um, I don't think you should ever fight in front of the kids. For Becca and I, we have a little three-season screen porch kind of thing, and It all moves out there. Anytime that there's a disagreement, it moves out there. Our kids have rarely seen us fight at all. If we even raise our voice, uh, they're surprised. Because they're like, whoa, because if we're going to fight, if we're going to disagree, it's in private. I think if you're going to fight fair, you need to give a retreat option. And uh, there should be ability to cool off, and there should be a retreat option, and you should define it before the fact. Uh, I learned this out the hard way. Early in our marriage, Beck and I were fighting, and I was just like, I am going to lose it. I don't know what to do right now. My anger is at the limit in this moment. And I went and just walked outside. And then I went and got in the car and drove around and just cooled down. And then I was like, okay. Now, this is pre-cell phone, pre-texting, pre-whatever. And I drive around, and then I came back to the house. She goes, where where are you? And I was like, I was just cooling down. And I feel a lot better. She's like, ah. I mean, she's like, don't ever walk out the door. Like, that that freak i didn't know it was like for tonight today a week tomorrow forever you know don't ever walk out the door and she's like we got to define that one and i was like okay let's define like how we're going to cool down if one can call for a cool down and that's what he said okay i need to cool down give me 10 and then i could leave the house but it was for 10 minutes you see what i'm saying she could leave it was 10 does that make sense define it beforehand um When you're cooling down, the best thing I can tell you, and in the whole fight that's going on, listen to the Holy Spirit. Listen to the Holy Spirit and ask this question over to him. What am I doing wrong? Holy Spirit, what am I doing wrong? We think, how can I convince them they're wrong? That's what we're thinking. But instead, start saying, Holy Spirit, what am I doing wrong? And then when you're convicted, say you're sorry, admit it, and... uh, Whoever's the better arguer between you two, whether it's the husband or the wife, when you know that you're wrong, don't look for the win, just admit you're wrong. I'm I'm a very good wordsmith, and I'd sit there and think, all right, I know that I'm wrong, but I want to make sure Becca still takes 51%. (laughs) All right, how can I do this, right? And I'm thinking, and I'm thinking. And then the Holy Spirit was like, stop it. If you're 70 and she's 30, admit it, stop it. You're not going to win. You're going to lose by winning. And so when you're sorry, say you're sorry, be done, and move on. And then when it's over, it's over. It's over, it's over. Don't stockpile them. It's not fighting fair when you say, this is just like eight years ago when you, you know, "Uh -uh, uh-uh, uh-uh, no, no, today's a fresh day. It's a new day and we can't go back because then all of a sudden when you open up eight years, then 18 years is in play and everything's in play and it's gonna get ugly. Stick with it, fight fair. Um, I would say this, if it goes too long, if I've learned anything, um, if it goes for more than two days, uh, get help, get help. If it goes for more than two days, the Bible says don't let the sun go down on your anger. If it goes for more than two days and you just you know, can't fight and you're just, you can't solve the problem, um, Get some help with this, and don't look for support for your side. Like, hey, I, you know, they agree with me, so they'd like to come over and tell you how you're wrong. Uh, you're dead. You know. Um, never, ever, ever use the divorce word. It's just out of play. I'm just gonna tell you this. It's out of play. It is. Out, don't use it. Don't say it. Don't threaten with it. Never, ever, ever use the divorce word. It's out of play. Uh, I, if this is something that grieves me. Um, profanity grieves me. I think our mouth should betray us that we're Christians. And um, I can't stand it when I hear in counseling, and, and I know that they're disintegrating, it's going bad, but when they're like, well, he called me this, and he does this, and he drops the F-bomb, and they do, you know, I mean, it shocks me. It shocks me. I, 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 I don't think it's ever happened I think I heard my dad swear three times in his life and it was never like major profanity and, and I think when he's four he said like excuse my French and I was like is that French? you know so I mean you know I don't you know so I'm just it just isn't part of our world and I think it's it's wrong for a Christian to talk that way I think it's horrible for you to use profanity to your spouse Ephesians 4 29 is, is just very clear let no corrupt communication come out of your, out of your mouth I think it's very clear. We did a whole series on the tongue, and I did one week on profanity. I don't think it's cool. I I can't stand it when pastors think they can be more cool and relevant by swearing, and I don't think it has any place in the marriage at all. Profanity, and and some of you need to right now, um, the Holy Spirit's convicting you, and you need to right now uh, subtly give your mate a, a nudge, a squeeze on the hand, uh, just that you received this, you heard it, and you're going to work on this. You don't need to be bold. I don't need anybody to raise a hand, but you need to touch your spouse and let them know you heard it because they heard it, and right now they're going, oh, Lord, please let them hear this. No more profanity in our house. And if you heard that, give them a subtle, I heard this. Don't tolerate backtalk from your kids. Don't tolerate that. Do not tolerate. Do not let your children speak to your spouse disrespectfully. I was raised in that way that we were not allowed to speak disrespectfully. I remember one time I was talking to my dad, and I said, do you know what she said? And he goes, wait a minute, young man. You, when you refer to your mother, you'll say, do you know what mom said? That is my wife, and you will respect her? Yes, sir, I will. <laughs> you know, wow, you know. But there was no doubting it. They were together. I had to have respect for her because he respected her. And you know what? I saw that, you know, um, Oh, let's see, I, just, I wrote this down today when I was praying about this. Use the same intensity to fight for your marriage and don't give up. And i say this, and I know this might be heavy on somebody, but what if your primary purpose on this earth is to win your spouse to Jesus and get your kids to heaven and you're ready to bail? Man, fight for it, fight for it, fight for it. If it's been uh, just a horrible time, fight for it. Listen to the Holy Spirit. There's always hope in that way. If the unbeliever wants to depart, our church is, is willing to say, if that person wants to leave, they could leave, but we want you to fight for your marriage. Um, all right, something real practical out of sight of fighting fair. Get creative solving your problems. I mean, first of all, if, you do, if, you don't, if both of you don't agree that it's a good solution, it's not a good solution. You're like we solved that, right? Right. Good. Good. No. And they're like, "Well, okay, that it's good. We've solved it." No. If you both don't agree, it's not a good solution. Keep working. It may be a better solution, but keep working to solve the problem and uh, get to where you both agree. I think it was Dr. Harley said the policy of joint agreement, where you both agree. I have seen marriages uh, solve problems by simply buying a second tube of toothpaste. Okay, um, it's true. I have seen them saved by simply putting the folded laundry on the shelf and they put it away themselves. Um, I've seen it solved uh, with uh, one of our first fights, Becca and I, was uh, how early we had to get to church and how late we had to stay. I want to get there before everybody and stay till the end and talk to everybody. And she was more like, you know, five minutes early and five minutes late. That's good. And uh, so she's driving with me, and, and we're leaving church. And, I mean, I'm just getting done as a youth pastor. And we get in the car, and it's like, pow, 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 pow. And, and I'm thinking, this isn't good. We could solve this. We have two cars. You know, we can do this. And so we did that. And she gave a little bit. I gave a little bit and uh, solved it. Um, you could solve it, you know, by we've solved spending problems and, uh, I probably won't get to money. We're talking about that in the series. But we've solved it with money problems, saying what the limit is, you know, a $50 limit, a $100 limit, $200 limit before you have to call your spouse and ask for permission. Um, Just being able to do that. So solve problems, be creative. Another thing is I'm a yes guy. I just like to say yes to everything. Here's another problem we had. You probably never knew this in church for years and years and years. You were causing me all sorts of marriage fights after service. (laughs) people would say to me in the lobby, like, hey, do you want to go boating with us? It's July. It's a hot day. You own a boat. I don't. Of course I do. You know." And I'd go, yes, sure. And then I'd go tell Becca, we're going boating. And then she'd say, remember, we're going here. I'm like, oh. And then I'd say, yeah, Becca said, we can't go. And she's like, I hate being the bad spouse. Don't say yes anymore. And here's the deal. Even if it was yes, I'd bring her along and she'd be like, didn't we agree to do this? And you put us into all these spots because I just wanted to do everything. And I still live that way. I wanted to do everything. But we started to get where we define this is a yes weekend and this is a no weekend. So when people talk to you today, you're going to say no, and you're going to say that you can't do it. You're not going to make me the mean person. I'm like, that's a good plan, okay? So you can understand, you just have to solve problems, all right? Um, here's a couple other things, very practical, that I've just, again, just gone all over the place. Uh, define the duties that you need to do around the house and agree to do them. Define them and do them. Just do what you've agreed to do, um, Here's something that I just point out. Uh, if something isn't going perfect in your marriage, ladies, um, don't complain to your husband. If, if it's, okay, here's what I mean. Like If it's not perfect, I'm just trying to think of a hypothetical here. Like I feel like I just dug a big hole. All right, so <laughs> let's say you go out on a date and it wasn't perfect and you went on a date on Thursday. It wasn't perfect and this bombed and that didn't happen and the food wasn't that good and all that. Don't tell him that. Just enjoy the date. Then when you're out with your girlfriends, tell them, yeah, the food wasn't that good, and this didn't happen, and the flowers kind of wilted, but he bought me a flower. Okay, let him in the moment. Don't, guys, just don't like that complaining, and your girlfriends will. So, and they'll, you know, you'll know, you be in that together. That's a whole other session. All right. I'm heading off to Pastor Darren. All right. Come on up. All right. So um, here's another thing. Ladies, if your husband doesn't understand you, he's normal okay you are a woman he's a man and if he does not understand you all the way that is perfectly fine. You don't want him to fully understand you. You want him to think different than you. You want him to be the helpmate to you. And you can think uh, together, but you don't have to think the same. Some are like, he doesn't understand all these things. You know, It's okay. That's okay. And I do think it's fine for uh, ladies to have lady friends and guys to have guy friends that they spend time with and then they come back as a married couple. It's, it's perfectly fine. You will not understand each other all the way. And uh, just one thing on guys in communication, uh, just, it, we have said, so many people have said this, but it bears repeating, you, you just don't need to fix it. You just don't need to fix it. Like, when she's venting, the, it's better to just go, wow, that was bad. That goes way better, because I am a fixer, and I could tell you for like the first 10 years of our marriage, maybe more, I was like, well, you know what you should do? You should go in there and talk to... And she's like, I don't want to do... Well, what do you want to do? I don't want to do anything. That's not a good plan. All right. Yeah. And she's like, I just want you to listen. And so it kills me. It kills me. I once went to like this coaching school to coach pastors. And they're like, you are a horrible coach because you can't wait. You're just like, here's what you need to do. And they're like, they got to discover it on their own. I'm like, no, they don't. We can get right to the problem. And they're like, no, no. So guys, just let it go. Just, you're better to say nothing than to try to jump in and fix it all. All right. Um, And I will say this, uh, ladies, if you want your husband to talk more, walk with them. I can't tell you how much that has uh, changed our marriage for Becca and I to walk together. We walk four miles. It's two miles to Starbucks or Caribou. They're right next to each other, depending on which one we have a gift card to. That's where we go. And uh, so we walk two miles, stop, get our our drinks and get our coffee, then walk back. We do it like three times a week if the weather is good, and uh, we're talking I mean, that's an hour of talking. And here's the deal that I figured out. Men like to talk shoulder to shoulder. Most of the things we do in life are not direct eye contact across a table. It's mostly not like that. Even when people do business deals and things, it's a large table. There's a lot of movement. There's a lot of eye action going on. You're going to, it's not just one-on-one usually, all right? Even when people are doing business deals, they're on the golf course, they're talking, they're doing that. We go to ball games. We're shoulder to shoulder, everything. Think about sports, hockey, football, baseball. We're shoulder to shoulder So if you want your guy to talk more Get shoulder to shoulder and do that And uh, besides walking We'll help you get in better shape All right. Um, I'm going to talk about this And I just had to address it Uh, I want to talk to you guys about sex Because uh, there's been a lot of counseling That we've had to do in this area I just want to give a warning to live stream Maybe you have your iPad in the living room The kids are running around Just letting you know That we're going to talk about this I will say this I am not a sex therapist I don't intend to be Um But I will tell you this, there are some amazing books that could help you. Uh, Sheet Music, The Gift of Sex, uh, Real Marriage, all three of those are books. If this is an issue for you and you want some resources, by all means, those are uh, great books. Sheet Music, The Gift of Sex, and Real Marriage, that's by Mark Driscoll, and he gets pretty frank and honest in there. Um, Sex is very important to marriage. The promise uh, that is made at the wedding is not... Hey, I will never go to another ball game with somebody else. The promise is to you and to you only will I, I you know, give my baseball card collection. It's, it's to you and you only will I be physically true. I'm going to reserve this exclusively for you. You reserve this exclusively for me. The two become one. The Bible talks about that. Two become one. Um, it's a very significant thing, um, sexual intimacy is the thing that only your spouse can do with you. It's the, they're the only person on the planet that has been authorized to meet that need in your life. If it's not important, then why would we go through that? Um, it's the only physical way that we let somebody into our private world. Okay, so I'll give you a couple things. Um, I think you can calendar plan uh, for better sex. And what do I mean by that? I think if you know what's going on on each other's calendar and there are less surprises, you'll have less fights, which means you'll have more sex. I think you can actually even schedule in sex into the calendar. You could say, Let, it's this day, it's this day. Hey, we're going out of town. It's that day. You can do that. You say, that doesn't sound very romantic. I'm just telling you that I've seen too many people that drift away and they become roommates. They become roommates. He's chasing the career. She's chasing the kids. And all of a sudden, next thing you know, they're like, remember back when we used to? And you become roommates. I mean, very vulnerable and very transparent. I don't remember how many years ago it was in our marriage, but it was quite a few years ago. I was pastoring River Valley, so I know that. So it was probably 10, 12 years ago. And I can remember one day saying to Becca, I just said, hey, I'm going to share something with you. And I said, it's probably going to make you cry. And I said, but I just got to be honest with you. And I said, I feel like we've become roommates. Um, I said, I just feel like um, kids are here, church is growing, I'm busy, you're busy, I feel like we're roommates. And I said, and I am not going to be a statistic as a pastor. I am not going to stand up in that pulpit and say, I've sinned against the church and you, I don't want to be that guy. And I said, I'm just battling my thought life, I'm battling what's going on. And uh, I said, I'm going to tell you uh, a glimpse into my life. And uh, as I shared with her, I said, uh, I just believe that um, my needs, I would love to have sex three times a week. I I said, that's just me. I said, I would love to have you enjoy it and not just say, hey, okay, let's go. Let's get this over with. Um, It's my duty. All right. You know, and she was like, okay. And I said, um, and it was very vulnerable. It was very vulnerable. And then I told her, I said, I let her into the guy's mind. And I said, you got to understand guys are thinking about this a lot, a lot, um, a lot. And she's like, <laughs> and so I started to clarify how much of a lot. <laughs> she's like, you were thinking about it then? Yeah. And then? yep, yeah. And then? And yeah, yeah. Pretty much all the day. You know, my, br- my brother Rick, I don't know if he's here, but I'll throw him under the bus. He says, he says, men are multitaskers. We are thinking about whatever we're doing and sex at all times. So that it's, it's so there you are. And so I'm telling this to Becca, and she starts to cry. And she goes, why would God make you like that? Oh, she says, I feel so sorry for you. And I'm like, okay, all right. So, but it was a real breakthrough. It was a real breakthrough. And she said, well, I'm the only one on this planet that can meet that need, and I'm gonna do that. And it changed our marriage. It just changed our marriage, because I said, we're not roommates, and I, I used this in a marriage sermon once and I talked about um, trying to help ladies to understand the, the rejection in this. And it's usually uh, 99% of the counseling that I've done, it's, it's the, the guy that is dissatisfied and there's 1% where it's the lady in, in all the counseling that I've done. But I said, just imagine ladies that um, you want a free trip to Disney and the rule is you can't tell anyone else about it until you tell your spouse. If you tell anyone else about it, you lose the trip. You lose the trip, you lose everything, and it's an all-expense-paid trip for you, your family, a dream trip, and your spouse comes home, and you're like, oh, I'm so glad you're home, I've been waiting to talk to you, and they go, ah! I'm not in the mood to talk. Not today, not tonight. Not tonight? No, matter of fact, I got a headache, leave me alone. Okay? Any time in the future you want to talk? no, I can't even envision a time in the future. I'm going to bed. All right. Uh, (laughs) Okay. And then the next day, imagine this all day long, you're watching TV and there's ads saying, talk to us, tell us about Disney, talk to us. You go to the, you sit there and you go to get the mail and somebody walks up the street and goes, you got anything to talk about? Have you had any good gifts at all? And you're like, I can't talk to you. I made a vow. I can't talk to you okay, does that, is that starting to understand the intensity here? And you'd just be frustrated thinking, did, I thought we agreed to talk. I thought well, this is part of the marriage thing that we talk. And so that same intention, intensity, he can't talk to anybody else. He cannot meet that need anywhere else in the world. No one else can do it. It's your privilege. It's your joy. Now guys, you are supposed to husband and love your wife. You are supposed to take care of her. And I can tell you that uh, it's sexy to vacuum the floor it is sexy to wash the dishes it is sexy to put the kids to bed there are a lot of things that you can do to improve your odds but it is <laughs> you're the only person in the world that can meet that need in each other do not deprive it and in First Corinthians 7 is very clear um, Paul says basically that frequency is an issue he said you should take care of each other's needs so he basically addresses frequency, okay? And then in, in some ways he talks about your body, that you're taking care of it. and But he does address the frequency. And uh, just to let you know, uh, the, the stats bear that out. Uh, a very healthy marriage will have sex uh, two to three times a week. That's a very healthy marriage. Um, and then it, it diminishes over time. Uh, but it's very clear that in verse five of Uh, First Corinthians seven, he says, come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Here's what happens when uh, people are sexually frustrated in a marriage. Uh, The devil does the justification game. Here's what he does. You would never look at that porn site if your wife would have said yes tonight, right? Right. So just the only reason you're doing this is because she's not taking care. So you just, it's okay, you're actually a much better guy because there's other guys that would look and not, you know, they probably are having their needs met and they're still looking. They're way worse. You're okay. You're okay because you're, this is, it's kind of her fault to do it. You see what I'm saying? And that's what's going on in the guy's mind and that's how the devil starts to attack. And then the devil says, it's okay to look at the menu as long as you don't buy anything, right? It's okay to do it. It's okay. That's what goes on in the justification. Paul is saying, come together so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. It's a fact. This is an area of lack of self-control. And I don't have time to go into it, but think about this. This is just a, a really theological thought for somebody that wants something deeper tonight. Um, think about this. In the Bible, the God, God puts his mark on his people on two organs, he puts his mark in the Old Testament on the sex organ via circumcision. And in the New Testament, he gives your second most unruly member, of your tongue, basically the ability to speak in tongues and to have the gift and bring it under the control of the Holy Spirit. And his people have a marking on them. He understands there's something going on. And he says, keep these members in control. It's your body, take care of it. Um, and if I could say this, I, again, ladies, your husband loves your body. I just can't say that enough. I have talked to so few guys in the history. Usually these are guys that need professional counseling. But I've had guys come in and go, I, my wife doesn't understand. I love her body. And she's like, oh, I'm overweight. He's like, I love your body. And she's like, oh, he couldn't. He's like, what do I have to say? If I get on my knees and tell you and beg you, you know, they're like, oh, no. You know, and so I, I just can't tell you enough that... We're not perfect, but God has caused us to love each other in that way, and he loves your body. Um, and then basically, Paul's saying, like, you need to take care of this need, and you need to be friendly in this. Uh, I talked about it. If, if you're in it, and you're just saying, it's my duty, okay, it's my duty, uh, you, you should get counseling on that. You should. It shouldn't be like that. One, something is going wrong if you come into marriage, and it's like, it's my duty. Um, Interesting, the more frustrated we are with our marriage, the more sex ranks as important, which would correlate with 1 Corinthians 7, 5. He's saying, come back together so that Satan won't tempt you. It's almost as if Satan elevates the importance of it in the marriage, the more frustrated and the more that it's not happening. And, and people that are frustrated in their sex life say that sex, it's 90% of them said, it's very important to the marriage. People that were happily married, that were having regular sex, 10% of them said it's very important to their marriage. So it seems that the more that people are having it, the more they understand there's more to marriage, the less it becomes obsessed and it almost goes out of control. Interesting thing, I won't have time to go into this all the way, but on Twitter I saw this link and somebody said, amazing article that GQ just did about porn. And if I could say this, porn will not spice up your marriage, porn will ruin your marriage. Okay, I can remember the first time I was shocked when somebody came up to me and said, Pastor, we need you to talk to our son. He found my pornography collection and you need to talk to him. And I was like, okay, stop. (laughs) Let's talk to you first. Uh, Okay, it won't spice up your marriage. It'll actually hurt it and destroy it. And this is coming from GQ, okay, which blows my mind that GQ did an article about this. And just a couple of thoughts. Um, It said, for those addicted to porn, arousal actually declined with their partner, with their same mate, but if they found other mates, they had continual arousal. It's known as the Coolidge effect or novelty-seeking behavior. Porn trains the viewer to expect constant newness. You want to get a precursor to an affair? Bring porn into the marriage because it starts to train you for constant newness in partners. One in five people that watch porn admit that they're controlled by their sexual desires. Interestingly enough, the people that are surveyed by this survey, 50% of them had never had sex with a real human, but were addicted to pornography and masturbation. Think about this. We're turning into a digital age that is addicted to pornography and doesn't even know what a real human is. That's a sad thing. It's a sickness that is happening. Sadly, 33% or 53% said they were exposed to pornography between ages 12 and 14. If you don't think you need a guard on your home computer or you don't need to be talking to your kids, our kids plug their phones in in the kitchen and leave them down there. We have their passwords, their preacher's kids. We love them, we trust them, but their phones are in public and we have access to them. Um, all sorts of sickness and problems with sex happen uh, amongst 27 to 31-year-olds. Think about this, uh, 27 to 31, 34% of these men said they had uh, erectile dysfunction. I mean, this is 27 to 31, this should not happen. This is pornography killing a marriage, killing a person, killing your God-created sex drive that is supposed to be within the bounds of marriage. It's, it's the river that stays within the bounds instead of the flood destroying things and going outside. This is the last line from there, I'll read it says, there are 420 million web pages dedicated to porn, meaning the non-porn internet consists roughly of Wikipedia. <laughs> and I thought that was kind of funny. And uh, it says, scientists at Cambridge University recently studied the brain scans of porn addicts and found that they looked exactly like those of drug addicts. And th- this is like preaching it from GQ. So there it is, men. While the evidence may not be scientifically thorough, there's certainly enough to suggest that porn has a negative impact on our lives. Okay, there's no place in the body of Christ for this. Uh, The Proverbs 5 talks about being delighted with the wife of your youth. It talks about that, and you should be delighted there. Um, I'll say this too find help, find normal, read. And I gave you some books up there, and I'll be very clear on this. Uh, I don't think you should be reading pictorial books. I just don't think you should feed your mind with those images. If you're, you know, you should be reading the books that we talked about, but you don't need uh, to fill your mind with new images and to stimulate that as well. Uh, Dr. Doug Weiss talked about something when he was here last time, and he talked about yes, no, maybe. Let me just tell you something that has happened since then. Um, If you left that time with Dr. Doug Weiss for our marriage night, and you heard yes, no, maybe... um, I guarantee you the husband heard yes, no, maybe. Maybe the wife heard it too, but she said yes, no, not going to happen and didn't do it. If that happened, I'll tell you that um, probably a little bit of bitterness has come in and a little bit of like, man, I went to marriage night with you. I looked in your eyes. I told you all the things about Valentine's. I did that. I hugged you. I did this and all that, and we didn't even do the other part that he talked about because you didn't like it. I'm just gonna tell you as your pastor that a little bit of bitterness can build up. If you discount, you say, oh, that Dr. Doug Weiss, they'll never bring him back. Uh, Let me just say this. When I listened to what Dr. Doug Weiss talked about with sex, I didn't disagree with one thing he said. I didn't disagree as a pastor with one thing he said. I love that he talked about eye contact, eyes open, when eyes are closed, fantasies going on. I like that he talked about lights on. I like that he talked about verbal communication. And I like that he said, put it down as yes, no, maybe. And if it's maybe when, if it's no for never. And I, I like the way that he gave good boundaries there. And I think that we had a, a major national expert here and you should, you should take advantage of that and be able to say, um, this guy can help us. This guy can give us what we need. All right. um, Last thing I'll say about this is if you say, well, it's too expensive for marriage counseling, you can get a marriage mentoring mentor for free. Um, They're here. They want to help. It's the body of Christ. And if you ever did need marriage counseling, can I tell you this? It's worth every dollar. It's worth every dollar. Divorce is incredibly expensive. It is incredibly destructive. Um, I'm convinced at the end of the divorce, it looks to me like almost every time the lawyers win and pretty much nobody else. Um, it's one of the saddest things. we Becca and I sat one day in a divorce court and watched couples getting divorced. And um, I'll never forget, the judge was like, are, are you two getting divorced? Because you look really happy. And I said, we're good. We're just here to observe this. And it was so sad. It was so sad. It's worth the investment. It's worth the preventative. Spend the money. Do it. You can afford it. Save your marriage and fight for it. Um, Well, now here and at all of our campuses, we're going to turn it over to the campus pastors, and uh, you get to clean up the mess that I just made, all right? So (laughs) it's your job. Um, I just want to say this. Um, Thank you, Becca, for being vulnerable and for allowing me to share those things, you know? Um, It's just... You know, you share those things. And uh, I am married to an amazing woman that I love deeply. Uh, I couldn't make it without her. A lot of you wonder how we make it. She is the stability to everything that goes on. And uh, just, she gives me permission to share these things. It doesn't mean she's always comfortable but she gives me permission because we want to help, we want to pastor, and we want to love our church. So thanks, Becca, for doing that. Now, campus pastors, uh, you get to clean up the mess. Have a great night.